Hi, and welcome to the Lookback podcast. My name is Henrik Matson. I am the CEO of Lookback and also your host for this show. In this podcast season, we will be uh, talking to a lot of cool researchers from a bunch of really interesting companies. And we will be focusing on uh, one of my favorite, uh, most, well, I saw it. You can't really say it's a favorite problem, but one of the most interesting problems to solve, one of the most pressing problems, I think, for our uh, community and industry, uh, namely, how do we get the other people on our team to join us on this journey that is research? How do we get stakeholders to pay attention to the insights that we're capturing and perhaps even join sessions and you know get inspired? Um, and with me today, I have the one and only Lena Blackstock, uh, Lena has a long and illustrious career um, in ethnography and research design in a bunch of, uh, started out in a bunch of um, agencies and different companies, then came as the first researcher to Asurian, uh, built something up there, and is now at HashiCorp uh, as the, the director of building up the new thing there. So lots of relevant uh, experience at different stages and also HashiCorp is a uh, if i've understood things correctly a very re uh, engineering heavy company which is always interesting so uh welcome super excited to have you here yeah thank you so excited to talk to you today awesome so i'll start off by asking you a bit about how you got into research because i think that's something that we have a lot of people getting into research that's been a trend now for a while which is very good but we have a young kind of field and a lot of people who are just getting into this they are uh, often thinking oh do i belong is my background the right one and when i talk to people who've been here a while i see that people come from all sorts of places so it's always interesting to hear kind of the the origin story so to speak so could you uh, could you share that with us please yeah 100 percent one of my favorite things to talk to other researchers about and ask people in their in, in interviews because many of us have that zigzaggy kind of path into the career which i would say mine does um my undergrad was in journalism and global studies uh, aging myself but there wasn't really any degrees that existed in the field there was some like lightweight hci usability stuff in software world happening but not nothing written, nothing like learners conferences to attend, nothing like look back tools to use. It was just kind of you're on your own. So I actually I went abroad. I went to India for a study abroad and they had a course called Ethnographic Approaches to Indian Society. I took it. I loved it. I'm like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. Started Googling stuff, couldn't find anything. So I eventually on a plane, I believe it was like a United Airlines magazine saw an article about OXO, the kitchen company, employing what they called, I believe, business or design anthropologists. Oh, there's that term again, you know, mm -hmm. there's that field. And they described how they had tried market research surveys to innovate and improve on some of their best-selling products in this example, the measuring cup. I'll try to keep this short, but it's one of my favorite stories. Um, so they had ethnographers in the kitchen with folks using the measuring cup. They realized little nuggets of insights, like when people pour the flour, they had to lift up the cup to see how high it gone. And out of that, they developed the measuring cup with a tilted ring that you can see while you're pouring from above. So I noted that term, design ethnography. I set up a Google alert. And then I believe like a year or two later, I got an alert that there was a, a master's degree. So I went to Scotland, got the degree in design ethnography, and then just kind of followed the trail from there. I did some consulting, like you mentioned, and then put myself in-house at a couple of different places to build research practices. Wow. Awesome. 
that's, that's exactly. research and practice. So, but this is great. I mean, so now I know every time I measure things, I know, <laughs> I know Based that research did that. Observational awesome. insights. Yep. There you go. Cool. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we chatted a little bit before this and we were talking about, uh, since we've both been in this space for, for a while now, we talked about how kind of the problems have evolved. And it used to be that it was hard to just like capture user experience in its natural environment, so to speak. Uh, but, but that this problem is kind of solved now and that the, that the new problem is to really make research matter, if I put it like that, inside organizations. And I know that you've been heavily involved in kind of, you know, building up research practices from scratch in these companies. And in currently at HashiCorp, you're, you're involved with democratization as the model for this, et cetera, et cetera. So I just imagine that you've come across a lot of interesting examples of when this works really well, when you had to struggle more, and I'm, I'm sure you've contributed to kind of shifting the culture in some of these places towards a more kind of engagement with re research culture, which I think is the goal, right? So um, do you have any, like, what would you say to someone who's just coming into this, starting up, and, and they feel perhaps like there is resistance or like uninterest, I guess, uh, more than resistance to, to the work they're doing. No one's showing up. Like, where do you begin? And like, what have been some of your experiences in, in building this kind of culture? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the first thing to remind yourself, especially for many of us who are or have been teams of one, which I think is still most of the folks out there, um, to look around and see who is already doing research activities. Um, often there is way more folks that are non-researchers doing research than researchers doing research. Uh, when I started, uh, when I joined Asurian, uh, I was the first kind of researcher for the product org is a pretty large org. Um, it felt really overwhelming. And what happened, I think, kind of a combination of luck and, and opportunity, I found other like-minded folks. Often those were people that had design UX in their title, sometimes strategy, sometimes those were folks in other parts of the organization. In this case, there was pretty mature um, market research, corporate strategy, competitive intelligence kind of functions that were already tuned in to this new person and this new thing that was starting to happen. And so that's actually the origin of the team at Asurian was a few of us were thinking about the same problem. We were seeing the same problem. In this case, product teams weren't sure who they were building for, kind of a big one. So we just started a foundational project together, even though it wasn't officially in our titles. Um, and that was literally the seed and the foundation for what became the team. And at HashiCorp, the mandate is a little bit broader. Um, we're, we're forming a research and insights practice and team from scratch, um, there's no other built out research functions, so to say, but we've been thinking a lot about the membrane of the organization. So a lot of the teams that are already customer facing and getting information continuously from the outside and, and, get, and feeding that back out into the community. So you have customer success, even sales, some of those teams and trying to focus our efforts on building connections there because we can learn a ton and we can support them in learning more intentionally and, and help them make better evidence-based decisions. Hmm. Okay, cool. I'd like to deep dive a bit into that because one thing I see often is, you know, it's not like companies are not talking to customers. As you mentioned, like customer support, you know, there's a, like yeah. we're talking to customers all the time, but it's not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily connected. And what I see when like engineers and, and uh, designers, et cetera, get very excited about research, it's like they don't care about it, where it comes from. They're not going to go like, oh, well, that's, 
that's from customer support. So I don't care about this experience. So like, how do you, if you could give us some more kind of meat to like, how, how do you do that in practice in an organization? How do you identify that and make it happen? Kind of? Yes. So I think one of the biggest things that we've learned, um, and I've been fortunate to, to, to work with some wonderful humans and collaborate it with some folks that I think we've been able to learn about this together. Um, the starting point is the relationship, trusted relationships with others, especially in a technical environment where a lot of the folks that we partner with have legit domain experience, very valuable insights, not just into the technical space, but also into kind of the surrounding ecosystems within those roles. So for us specifically DevOps, they're folks that are using the products that they're building and they're very familiar with the environment that those products exist within. And so we're calling that informed intuition. And so one of our focus has been, instead of as a researcher putting up our guards and being protective, how can we intentionally and purposefully create space and ways for them to, for us to invite that informed intuition into our processes and build that trusted relationship? Because we need that trusted relationship to be invited into the conversations where we can have influence and the conversations where we can learn from their informed intuition and, and inject that into our research planning or decision mapping. Um, I think that's that's a good starting point, especially with technical teams. And a lot of that is, you know, one-on-ones in a remote mm. environment. We found even dropping little um, readings, articles, things that may be relevant to those folks in public channels where we know those folks are hanging out. Um, and office hours. Office hours has always been a core of what we did at Azurian and what we're doing at HashiCorp, just to offer that touch point for folks to come to us, whether that's Let's scope out your research plan. Let's see what method might work here. Let's help you use the tool that we've procured or simply, hey, let's talk about, you know, some of the things that your teams are struggling with. Where are you stuck? What decisions are you trying to make? Oh, awesome. So has this, how is this kind of, I'm trying to, this, I find it super interesting because what I see sometimes, um, you know, I'm not a researcher myself, but my job is very much about like, helping good culture develop right and what you're talking yes. about i love that approach because i see that that's just the way that you build relationships it's like you have yeah. to start from a point of respect and curiosity and you know <laughs> yes you're not researchers but you know you have this what did you call it informed intuition lovely concept yeah. you know and to respect that and and just to kind of start from a point of like you have something to contribute now let's work together right but i can also see how in some organizations this there can become this kind of like I don't know, cycle of of hopelessness where you feel like if someone's not interested and then they feel that you feel that they're not interested, et cetera. Like how, what are, what are some of the, have you encountered that and how have you kind of broken that down? And, and yeah. It's a really great question. It's actually, I think at the crux of one of the things that I think is most important, but one of the things that I don't think we fully figured out yet, which is, we're thinking about these concentric circles and you have yourself at the center, especially for a team lead and like trying to build a practice in a team, you have to start with the individual. So I have to hire, recruit, nurture folks and try to show by example with the teams we interact with that I'm open to learning, that I'm open to being wrong. So bravery and humility are really like the core. And then you go to that team layer, which is being intentional in how we support them and requiring that trust and that connection with them. And then I think the third thing that we talk about too is, 
especially in a remote culture, there's a very documentation heavy culture. And in a technical organization, there's a very specific type of technical documentation. And we talk a lot about learning together, learning and open, which is some of the things I appreciate about the research community. I think there's a lot of this like shared space for learning together and vulnerability um, and the growth mindset. Um, I lost my train of thought with the spider brain. We talked no about relationships. Where did we start? Yeah, no. So, like, how when when this when this doesn't work, you know, when there's this these kind of vicious cycles or whatever, where like there's this yes. learned hopelessness that you know we're it's just we're fighting each other instead of collaborating here. Like, what are some yes. of the ways to break those cycles? Yes. Sorry, I was trying to point it back to the humility and also I think understanding that especially in written communication, in remote kind of asynchronous communication, there's a lot of miscommunication that can happen and giving people the benefit of the doubt. Um, mm. I think being proactive in engaging. Um, and then, like I said, I think there are different formats we can try in offering engagement. And so some of that is through the tools that we procure and the support we offer there. Some of it is through the office hours, both um, appointment slots where you can schedule time if that works for you and having um, having open slots where people can pop in um, encouraging conversations, especially when you have still forming ideas in public channels instead of private channels so mm. that others either can engage there or they can see, oh, this team is functioning in this way. They are trying to be vulnerable. They're trying to be transparent. Maybe I can return by doing the same. So very much kind of the, the show by doing. I'm a big fan of that apprentice model because mm -hmm. I think that the more we show how we do things by doing them, the more folks are, I think, invited in to maybe mimic some of that or take the things that might benefit them or work for their teams. Did that yeah, answer your question? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Oh, this is great. <laughs> okay. uh, no, because I love the modeling. I think that's something that can be hard to, to you, you know, when you're starting up out in a leadership your first management role or something like that to, to understand the power of modeling and and that that yeah. requires transparency so i you know i'm not surprised that you find that those things work really well you know that's my experience too so so how much time would you be like for someone who's kind of who wants to know this sounds lovely you know like how, yeah how, how much time do you spend in your kind of research leadership role on this kind of stuff as opposed to all the other stuff that you do, setting up studies and making research plans and talking to management and all that stuff? I would say probably 90% considering that when I think about the structure and the shape of my team and my practice, that's partially thinking through that. How can we nurture and foster an environment and a culture where that's possible within our ability, right? There's lots of things that are out of our outside of our control. Mm. Um, Hiring, you know, hiring and maintaining a healthy pipeline of potential candidates is a really important piece. That relationship building outwards to the community and engaging with the community, attending events, talking with folks at different uh, conferences and, and just seeing what what's happening in the community. What are people thinking about? All that feeds into the culture building, the mindset work. Like nurturing a garden. We talk about the gardening metaphor a lot. Nurturing an environment where those things can grow. Even though I think um, 
even though the organization often looks for and demands quick wins, and those are important as a new function, we have to keep, I think, our eye on the long-term view and kind of what we're setting out and then backtrack with flexibility. Mm. But but yeah, I think all those things probably make up the, the bulk of, of the work. Wow. Okay, so for any people starting out now, I mean, this is this is important because here we have someone who... Uh, your track record is pretty clear. You're good at this. You're successful at this. And this is how much time you invest in it. So I'm assuming you, you do that for a reason, right? <laughs> it works. So tell us a little bit about like, how does it, if you start under investing, because I'm sure you have times where, where, you know, you don't have time to spend as much time on this yep. as, as you would like to, like, what, how do you see, what happens? Like, how fast do things start to degenerate? What forms do that take? Like, how, tell us a little bit about, like, what happens if you don't make this investment? That's a good question. Qualitative research answer is it depends. Um, <laughs> in our current environment, which is in a tech post-IPO hyper-growth company, things change very, very fast. Uh, we have gone through multiple, multiple major changes in work structure, in reporting, in team focus, in roadmaps, as these things do. So I would say this is the crux that I'm working through now. I had a couple things on the team that required more focus than normal earlier this year. And I do think that the focus shifted a little bit away from the things that we just talked about. And so I'm noticing revisiting um, an, uh, a touch point or a form that we've created called the Insights Consortium. So broadly cross-functional, mm -hmm. anybody in the company that's invited in once a month to talk about where they're needing insights, where they're using insights, where decisions they're trying to make, you know, bigger questions they're seeing bubble up. And that's been super impactful. I haven't been able to be as engaged there and returning, I'm seeing less engagement. A couple of the senior researchers have maintained it, and I think that's work. But but I think that being present, like you said, and modeling that behavior with each other is part mm. of the benefit that that meeting um, gives to other people in the organization. If that makes sense. And so yeah. I see I see the effects there. Interesting. And who are your um, oh, there are so many ways to go into this. It's so interesting. Uh, what are some of your, what, what are, like, who are your most important allies in, in this, in the organization? Another really great question. Um, I would say definitely, so we started out within the design organization, which is where UX, UX research kind of traditionally sits and where most companies now expect that, that function to, to sit. And it's definitely a very natural pair. Um, we're now sitting within shared services, so more broadly and more officially, I think, reaching across all of R&D. So I think product engineering design, I'm seeing especially some of my embedded researchers that are focusing on one pillar, one product line, building those relationships with what we call the EPD trio. So the, the engineering product and design trio that are making decisions together. The researcher is starting to build relationships and get involved in their cadences, in their decision making and building their research roadmap based on that. So that's been, I think, impactful and kind of an easy partner. The other one is um, customer success and evolving out of that is a voice of customer kind of program. So that's a very natural partnership as well. But I've had some really great conversations and engagement with both our developer advocates and community teams, which is a very natural fit and actually one that we really want to take the shape of our team 
into. So when we're thinking about participant panels, research versus research communities, we're learning a lot from and with them. And then a couple of really great kind of individuals within sales that are very interested in leveraging what we can offer and benefiting from some of the training and the resources that we're creating, but also me learning from how they engage with our customers and how they feed those learnings into their decision making. So it's kind of a two-way relationship. I think that's where the most benefit comes in. Mm, interesting. So how, how does this manifest when this works, like kind of this collaboration and this interest and as this kind of alliance grows, like do people show up in research or do they kind of, how do different people partake? I guess it depends, right? But mm -hmm. do you see it, any patterns it, there? It depends. I mean, there's also been failures. Like there's been some teams where our team has been trying to get involved in some, um, excuse me, training materials that the teams are creating and trying to help with um, some tactical insights from the work and being shut down and basically just not being involved in the conversations and the team just being under too much pressure and not having enough bandwidth and they just got to progress and move forward. So that, that happens. Um, I think some of the instances where it has worked well is, for example, one of our teams, um, a platform team, so it's very cross-cutting. Um, the researcher is a little bit of right timing, but also having been able to build some of those starting relationships and being very open and vulnerable about their own technical abilities and inviting the engineers to contribute and, and partner has been able to be part of a new working, a way of working that those teams were experimenting with. So kind of a pod structure and having been there from that initiation, positioning himself as somebody who can not only do primary research, but can help you make better informed decisions, can help facilitate these cross-functional conversations. Because those are skills that researchers often have. It's not just you know, the listening and, and the research expertise, but it's also things like I can facilitate conversations with folks that have very different goals, different ways of talking, different ways of working and bringing them together in a room and facilitating that, that conversation, especially remote, which, you know, is often another layer of mm. separation. Oh, super interesting. So some, some tough, uh, I mean, share what you feel like, uh, like sharing here, obviously, but uh, what are some of the kind of the, the toughest relationship challenges that you've faced? You don't need to name any names, but like, you know, because yeah. I'm sure that people run into, uh, I like to think about success. You know, I think the th when you, when you, when you're on a road of success, you're going to hit these points that are yeah. really, really tough. Right. And, and sometimes when when you look at someone who's been successful at something, you're like, oh, you know, they just did the right thing oh, and everything no. was fine. But but that's not how it works. So could you talk a little bit about like, you know, what are some of the big challenges you've had? And, and you know, what has that done? Has that demoralized your team? Like, how do you how do you deal with mm -hmm. that as a research leader? Uh, you know, when the thing you're modeling gets pushed back or whatever, you know, like pick yeah. whatever examples you want. But yeah. Okay. That's a really good one too. I, there is a couple examples that come to mind. The first one is really about um, seeing a mindset of scarcity within either team members or other research functions. So in past experiences, there have been issues with staying in your swim lane, especially as a new function, 
being seen as somebody that's going to, you know, take away from our work, somebody that's going to be competing with us, which is silly when you think about it, because we're all mm. working towards the same thing internally. But I think it's a very human response. And, and, you know, it's just that protectiveness. And I see that in research sometimes, too, where we have this protectiveness that gets in the way of opening up that, that shared learning space. And, and, and you can sense that, right? Like when somebody has that, and I can understand it. We all go through experiences where, right, like our, our roles get challenged and, and it's our livelihood, right? It's like it's, some, it's our passion, ideally. And so when that gets challenged, it's really difficult. But I think the idea that the more of us leverage these mindsets, employ these tools, you know, ask better questions, listen more intently, use evidence to make decisions, reduces risk for the business. It gives them confidence in themselves and in their, their role. And we all win. You know, it's like the, the title, it's all both. I really, really think exists here. So that's something that I've come across in multiple different instances. The other thing that I'm currently struggling with, and we kind of alluded to that, I think, in our conversation earlier, organizations, many organizations change continuously. And that's a good thing, right? Like we have to be responsive to market changes and, 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 and things happen and, and the company evolves. So org changes, when we talk about relationships as the wire that insights travel on, relationships when they break because somebody either gets shuffled to a new role or moves on to another organization, we start from scratch. And so this is the one that I'm currently thinking about mm -hmm. very intently. And related to that, when we're talking about this relationship building and we're talking about democratization, which in my mind means you have a small and nimble team and you focus on kind of the outwards activities instead of inwards, mm. how do we provide space and, and the learners team, and I know is very passionate about this too, but how do we provide the space for folks entering this field? Because if we can't have enough space and activities that are observable, that are, that they're able to participate in and organically kind of play fly on the wall, it's very hard to, I think, it's hard, it's not hard. We have to think about intentionally how we create that space for those folks to come into not just the tools and the methods, but the mindset and like these soft, what we always call the soft skills of, mm. you know, making space for informed intuition. Like how do you teach that unless it's through participating in those kind of cultures and environments? It's not really a tangible thing you can point to or plan. It just happens, you mm. know, if you put the right conditions in place. Yeah, it's, I think it's the third time in this conversation that I've realized that there are so many layers to this kind of, you know, let's let's take a shortcut kind of thing that I think has, has been, I think everyone who's been in research has felt that. It's like, no, 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 we don't have time to do the research. Yes. Skip it, right? And then, then you're talking about the importance of relationship building. You say 90% of your job is that, that we don't have time for mm -hmm. that. Like hire some people, get them going, yes. right? And then now you're talking about this thing. So. So I can I can totally see how that's that there are these kind of contradictions and tensions in any business that is changed and just trying to deal and solve problems yep. and trying to move forward as quickly as possible. Um, so I guess like on a on a kind of a final roundup. I mean, I could this conversation was so interesting. I could have kept going here for for hours and perhaps we'll do that over time. But we'll keep it going. But, but some like some final thoughts about that part, like how. 
what would you say to someone who is kind of some final best like the most important top three tips they could be about anything they could be about like where do i find the energy and motivation to keep going with this like or who do i ally mm -hmm. with or or what are some of the things that you really think you should invest with uh you know some of those like final kind of little nuggets of if, if you only take away one or two things from this talk what would that be i think doesn't matter if you're an individual contributor, a team of one, or, you know, a research lead or a researcher in a large thing or, and have a, a team of, you know, hundreds. Nurturing and being intentional about that mindset of learning. And I, it, it feels like a silly thing to hone in on because it's, you know, there's lots and lots of articles and, and research on the value of that. But looking inward, I think, and really reflecting on your own um, your own humility and your ability to stand up for the values that you hold dear while also understanding and focusing on the, the, the ecosystem that you sit within. So one of the tips that I usually get, give new researchers, whether it's, again, you're the first researcher, you're joining a team, the first 30, 60 days should be you researching the organization, mm. create an ecosystem map, Map out the stakeholders. What are the relationships between them? Where are their tensions? Where can I provide value? And it's not just like, what's the work we want to do and need to do in the future, but what's the work we can do now? What's the organizational appetite for research? So looking inward, and then I think doing a scan of your, your environment that you just got plotted in, um, I think is a good way to set yourself up for success. Awesome. That's a great uh, summary, <laughs> I think. Awesome. Um, unfortunately, we're going to be out of time, but uh, this was amazing. Thank you so much. I, I, I learned a lot. Yeah, thank you. I learned a lot. And I think that uh, hopefully uh, the, I know there was a lot of really uh, useful advice in, in here for um, people just starting out or people at, even at different levels. So thank you so much again for uh, coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I'll just drop it here. I'm on Twitter, on LinkedIn. Anybody's welcome to reach out, especially if you're newer to the, to the industry and you want to just chat, please send me a ping. I'd love to chat. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll oh. uh, get all of your, um, um, not your credentials, those you should keep for yourself, but, but your, your handles and stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> and good. on that note also, um, uh, if you want to hear more like this, follow this podcast. Uh, there's a newsletter you can sign up to as well where uh, we're doing this and also some other uh, stories, we're trying to get these stories out there because as we've learned in this podcast, there is so much experience in this community and it's all about uh, the transparency and modeling the behavior, right? That's the yep. that's what we need to do. So Thank you. This is uh, the work we need to do. Appreciate it. Awesome. Okay, cool. Happy researching, everyone. Bye. Yeah. Thanks, Henrik.